I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. very welcome to episode 137 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren, I'm your host, and I'm joined by an incredibly talented photographer who I've only met recently, but I feel like that his images have blown me away from every time that I've seen them. Welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast, Brett Blakely. How are we getting on? Good. We are getting on just fine. That's uh, one thing I love about, you know, Clubhouse, speaking with so many people from different places and hearing, uh, hearing a lot of the sayings that, I, you know... That we've never heard. I feel like Americans have very boring uh, sayings. So every time I hear little things, I pick it up. You know, Tim Modigan, obviously, he's, he wrote to me one time that he was chuffed about something. Oh, it's about (laughs) me uh, going to play with Josh Allen. He's like, oh, I'm chuffed for you. And I'm like, you know, I have to use that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, isn't it great? Like when you think about it in Clubhouse, the amount of different people that you can meet, the amount of different people from different countries, different views on things, different experience. And as you say, I'm even Tim there. Like, I mean, I didn't know who he was until then. And then I talked to him all the time. And it's, you know, it's a very, very interesting thing. So I'm delighted that I got to meet you through uh, Clubhouse. But just so in case somebody doesn't know who you are, tell us a bit about you. Who is Brett? Yeah, my my name is Brett Blakely, 39 years old. I'll be 40 July 29th. So I'm kind of freaking out. Uh, (laughs) I, I never got, you know, weirded out about age, but... Now I'm like running out of excuses, you know, 25. I'm like, I'm only a quarter century, 27. I'm like, I'm still out of my upper twenties. It's like mid to upper. Yeah, you keep making these little excuses. And I'm like 40 hit. I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) um, But I'm uh, born and bred in Buffalo, New York, which uh, a very easy way to figure out where that is on the map. Uh, I'm about 20 minutes from one of the natural wonders of the world, Niagara Falls. So um, that's a nice little area to have. And, beautiful, you know, Northeastern falls. And I do landscape and, and wildlife, um, just as a, as a pure hobby that I absolutely love. I'd love to do it full time some day, but a little busy right now, <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. I try and get out and shoot as much as possible. I love it. Well, like I alluded to, you know, your photography is incredible and I love looking at your images and I'm looking forward to getting stuck into as well, you know, the stories behind the number of your, of your images during the podcast this evening. But like, let me ask you really, let's go right back to the beginning. How did you get started in photography? Um, so landscape and wildlife is a different story. I, I would say, though, that I've always, I think I was always destined to fall in love with it. I just didn't know how much I was going to love it until okay. much later in life. But um, even as a kid growing up, uh, as young as I could remember, when I, when they, you know, I would just get the low disposable cameras from the pharmacy and stuff like that. Um, I mean, every spring break, I'd take my family would take me and uh, a couple friends to Marco Island, and I would always have a camera on me. Every time we hung out with friends in Buffalo, always had a camera on me, and that was just to to cherish moments, you know, with the friends. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going out and shooting flowers or animals mm-hmm. or or mm-hmm. scenes, but I uh, just always had a camera on me. Always really cherished, I think, you know, being able to to freeze a moment and and be able to look back on it. So. That's kind of where I think it it started, and I took a little photography class in uh, in high school. You know, you develop your own film, and that was interesting. Um, but then it wasn't until uh, a little over three years ago, 
I had, I've always loved traveling, but when I started my golf ball company, uh, at this point, it was seven years ago or 10 years in now, but I just couldn't, I couldn't afford, uh, didn't have the time to do the international travel like I used to. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I really didn't go anywhere, uh, for <laughs> seven years, uh, for the most part, which shame on me. I mean, what a waste uh, mm -hmm. of, of seven years, but, um, then I met Susie, who's my fiance now. And, uh, she is just as in love with traveling as I am. Brilliant. And she has two sisters, one of which, uh, was living in Rwanda at the time. So, our first big trip was about six months in uh, to visit her sister and husband in uh, Rwanda in Africa. Oh, wow. And it, I mean, I had, I had, you know, I had a little Sony, uh, uh, a crop sensor, um, Sony a6300 and I had a kit lens and that was about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I went there and the mix of, you know, the shock of just, being in a place so far from home, you know, it's a 38 hour travel wow. experience with the, with the, uh, layovers and everything. And so you're essentially a day and a half, two days to get mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And, and then it's just pure beauty. I mean, unlike anything I'd ever seen, it's called the, the land of a thousand rolling hills, I believe. And it is just the most beautiful rolling green hills, lush, you know, thing you've ever seen. And, and that paired with the fact that I was with, Susie and mm -hmm. I love her both her sisters I mean I love her whole family I get along really well with them and her sisters and husbands are my age so mm -hmm. um you know we just had such a good time and they were our tour guides so they took us to about five different areas you know within a three-hour drive Sweet. of um Rwanda including a safari and everything and I I just had my camera with me at all times and when I got back of course I loved the pictures that I took but mm -hmm. Right away, I, I thought, man, I really wish I knew what I was doing. I wish I had better equipment, wish I had more lenses, especially with uh, the Safari. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the thing that fueled it. My buddy was going to Yosemite a few months later, knew that I was just becoming interested in photography and, and asked if I wanted to join him. So I spent three months going down the rabbit hole of YouTube, online courses, in-person courses, learning every technique I could, saving up, buying a couple nice lenses and uh you know, off to the races. Yosemite was my first ever trip that was purely for photography. And that was three months after that. So that's kind of the beginning of where it all happened. At that point, I was only landscape. Wow. And you know, it's, it's interesting you're telling that story because I actually had something very similar when I went on my honeymoon to Borneo and I had my camera with me and I thought I was the bee's knees. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be great. And nearly every single photograph that I took was blurred. And when I got back, I went, all right, that's it. I need to figure out how to work this thing because we came across pygmy elephants and everything else. And I couldn't even get proper photographs of them. And I was yep. thinking, ah, that's it, man. I want to get into this. So yeah, it's very, very similar actually in the same storyline. Yeah. Well, what's funny about the the blurry photos is on the first day of the Yosemite trip, uh, you, you probably, you probably follow him, Adam Ardani. So he's mm -hmm. very talented photographer. Yep. And he was about, he had started about two years earlier. So he was pretty advanced, you know, in his journey already. And I think I had kind of overwhelmed myself with how much I tried to learn prior mm -hmm. to getting there. And so mm -hmm. the first day I was, you know, I'd gone from auto settings to everything's manual. It was the first time though I'm going out and shooting manual myself and not one freaking image was, wow. you know, in, in focus. And it was, it was like the dumbest thing that I just didn't get. I had a peaking setting on. I didn't fully understand it. And he's not even a Sony shooter. So we get back to the room. I'm all excited. 
And uh, I'm like, dude, every one of these is blurry. Well, what a waste of a trip. I'll just shoot everything on my goddamn iPhone. And he's laughing his ass off at me. So he takes a look at it and he figures out, he's like, bro, it was this. It was like a simple button that needed to be hit. And uh, the rest of the trip was salvaged. But I thought I was going to lose my mind. I'm like, oh, just devastated. (laughs) Wow, man. Jeez, after going to Yosemite and everything with your camera. I mean, actually, you know what? It's your own fault for having a Sony. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> what do you shoot? I'm Canon. Canon all day. Okay. Long. All um, right. So well, that's him too. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, Sony is a fantastic brand and have some fantastic features as well. And like you say, you know, you just one button changes everything. And that's one mm-hmm. thing I think that, you know, we'll get into later when I talk about the gear as well, potentially what attracts you to Sony, because it has some features, I think, which are perfect for your side of photography as well, mm-hmm. even uh, now. But like you, you mentioned there are a couple of things and I want to go further on those, right? Um, photography, you say you've always had a camera in your hand. Did you like to capture the moments of different things that were happening candidly of your friends, as you say, and like throughout that then, did you try and do different styles of photography? Have you done weddings? Have you done, you know, christenings? Have you done family photos? Uh, well, as a child, it was more, um, capturing just the moments in every experience. I've always been really close to my friends. I've always been, uh, an emotionally driven you know, person, uh, mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. a doubt, you know, relationships and everything are every, everything to me. Sure. Um, it's, you know, sometimes that's great way to live. And other times, you know, it, it would be good to be a little more uh, logical and rational and everything. But yeah, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it. I think it makes me deeply empathetic and sympathetic and caring and understanding. And, and those are qualities that I love about myself. Everyone has things they don't like about themselves. For sure. Those are things that I'm, you know, proud of. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there were, there was landscape in there. I mean, I remember at, uh, you know, in Marco Island every year, I would pull up a, a seat and tell my friends, Hey, just give me like a half hour. I'd bring one of the beach chairs in the, into the water. And I would literally take a picture of the sun every minute as it set, you know, mm. just boom, boom, boom. And they're like, why do you need 50 pictures? You know, it'd be like two disposable cameras worth. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, the light's changing or a bird flew through the scene or there's a ship passing across the horizon. Um, and so it was always like, you know, a little, little bit of an appreciation for for small yes. things. Now, as far as doing different styles, I have done it uh, more more so as favors. Like I haven't done weddings, wedding photography. I would be terrified to do because, Me you too. know, that I don't I don't know anything about, um, you know, your own lighting uh, mm-hmm. like flash. I, I just don't do any of that. And I would be so scared to mm-hmm. not capture somebody's most Moment. important day the way yeah. um, that they hope for. But I've done a lot of stuff for like friends of mine, friends of Susie's as far as, you know, their kids, high school portraits, or, um, you know, they just had a baby, things like that. Um, which I think does help. I, I feel like it's good to, to have those experiences because every genre and style, um, gets you more familiar with different things and, sure. you know, has you looking at a scene a completely different way because of the subject matter, you know, mm-hmm. with humans and portraits and things like that, the subject matter is often a lot closer. And so it's all about, you know, filling out the back, the back scene, the background scene and playing with depth. And, um, and then with landscape, it's, it's oftentimes not always, but more grandiose where the subject is further back and, you've got to figure out something to fill in the fore, foreground area and the middle areas to, to bring you to that payoff, mm-hmm, you know, or, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so I think it's good to, to do all that, but 
since I've been, I mean, as, as, as far as like, and I've done a little, little bit of city stuff and everything, especially when I was first learning, just like going around Buffalo and mm -hmm. doing long exposures and things like that, which I really did enjoy. But there, to me, there's nothing better than the landscape and the wildlife. I just like being outdoors. I like going to places and at times of the day and morning and night that most people aren't there and feeling like I've witnessed something that um, a lot of people are either just don't appreciate or are too lazy to go and seek out. Mm, that they're fast asleep exactly at home, not willing to get up early in the morning to capture that moment, which is gone in, in an instant. And like, right. you know, as you say, the sun is in a different place or a bird flew past. I mean, light and natural light is so dynamic. I love it mm -hmm. because, you know, you could look at one scene, two minutes later, look at the same scene and it's completely transformed. And 30 mm -hmm. seconds later, it's gone again. And that's the thing that I love in relation to that. But I love that challenge. But one mm -hmm. challenge that I don't really have in my locker, but you do, is wildlife. And, you know, I, like I said, I alluded to earlier on, some of your photographs you've taken of wildlife are incredible. And what is it to the wildlife photography? What do you love about it so much? What drew you to it so much? Um, I've always really liked animals in general, uh, but I, I can truly say that my, my love for all animals and my respect uh, for them is a hundred times what it was before. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it becomes very addicting to feel like you've connected with another soul that is not human mm -hmm. and you do have the and, and and just like the amount of emotional and actual intelligence but uh that they have that i think there's no way that we could properly know how smart these are like of course they'll tell you elephants are the smartest and dolphins are you know or are they smart whatever but i don't think even humans now can fully appreciate i, I think you know in another 50 years when there's more study like they'll be like uh, they're really, you know, they're mm -hmm. not at a, mm -hmm. at a two-year-old level. They're at a 10-year-old level. Um, mm -hmm. Just learning patterns and seeing how, I wouldn't even say seeing how human animals are, but seeing how animal humans are. Uh, and you learn that, you know, by watching them, they have mm -hmm. a much more linear existence. Mm -hmm. You know, they have uh, like for humans, you have to be taught to set goals and ways to figure out how to get that, you know, to, to reach and attain those goals with animals. There's a linear path. They have to survive and they have exactly. to help their, their young survive. And so they know exactly what their purpose is every day. Mm -hmm. But even within that linear path, there's such a, uh, such a, a human again, or animal, if you want to call it, because I think, you know, they kind of came before us, but mm -hmm. there's just a realness to their existence, you know, with, whether it's Fox and you see the, the, the kits thrown up, like literally playing, tossing dead squirrels up in the air and, you know, rolling around with each other, or you hear about elephants and how they have actual funeral, uh, you know, processions yes. for dead yeah. ones. I mean, it just, it gives you chills, you know, thinking mm -hmm. about, uh, the depth of these creatures and and locking eyes with them or seeing them in their own existence, um, just really fun. And I love then they're they're some of the most fun. I mean, I love post processing in general. It's probably my weakest suit, but I love I love doing it with animals because I feel like it's an opportunity to put them in a light that you know just 
makes them as beautiful as they should be mm-hmm. seen, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. gives them the proper respect they deserve. Like sometimes their surroundings, or maybe it's, you know, beginning of spring when everything's muddy and all, and all that. Like, I, I don't even want to take away from um, the awe of their existence by not putting everything into uh, creating an aesthetic that I feel matches what it is to share a moment with that creature. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, to, just to think about that a bit further there, right? When you're watching, let's say, a fox, okay, and you mm. want to take a photograph of a fox, you're you're seeing the family of fox. They're probably close to the den, you know, and we'll get to later on, I suppose, to the style of that. But you're observing things that people walk by or don't even see because mm-hmm. they're too busy with their own lives. And a human is a very interesting creature because we have, okay, opposable thumbs is the first thing, but also we can think. And the thought process that we use every day is what drives us. And it's so diverse as an individual, it can go one direction or another direction. Mm-hmm. Just like a family unit is an example where you all come from the same family, but there's a cohesiveness there, but you're all individuals because everybody is an individual person with a different purpose in life. So when you're talking about you know, the wild animal and to, to be there in the company of them, to have that emotional connection with them, but to be able to photograph that and then process that image to relay what you felt and what the scene was, that in itself, I think, is incredible. I mean, you know, even the way you described it to me, it just is a wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely taken on a, a different meaning because you you literally have no control over the situation like weather's the big variable with landscape photography mm-hmm. um and getting to that scene at the right time of day to that's how you put yourself in position for success you know scouting mm-hmm. the weather knowing mm-hmm. where to go figuring out the right composition and uh you know going getting up early enough or going late enough or whatever your your end goal is with wildlife uh it's that and a billion different things you have to a find out where there's even, you know, whatever creature you're trying to find where they're living, where the den is, uh, Mm -hmm. then figuring out the routines. I mean, the, the Fox that I, and I actually have not posted any of them from that whole, like couple, you know, that month where I was going every morning, I've got a bunch of shots, but they, I just could never get close enough that I was happy with like, yeah, I, I'm going to keep those shots, but, uh, it just wasn't, I didn't feel like it was going to pay them the respect that they deserve, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but I still loved it. And I learned throughout over those three, four weeks. I mean, I learned their exact pattern of behavior. I knew that between eight and eight thirty every single day, the mom was going to come out of the den, scurry across the ice and head to the woods to go hunt. Wow. You know, like I, that was a guarantee. And I kept setting myself up in different positions. It was just the location and um, the time that they would come out that made it super hard to get anything that was, you know, as detailed. I mean, I have, I have uh, standards, you know, for myself too. And sure. And uh, they're great photos, but you know, I, man, I was out with Arthur LaFoe and Brooke Little Bear and, and I know it's different because they pull up on the side of a road. I mean, they've told me, I'm like, how did you get that Fox? You can see it's freaking soul. Like you can see, mm-hmm. you know, the hair fibers, you can see where the hair goes in the follicles mm-hmm. and everything. And they're like, oh, dude, we were like three feet away. And that's not realistic for where I live. Yeah, you know, that yeah, that's out yeah. west. That's uh, yeah. where, where you can get that kind of stuff. Um, but that's the kind of, you know, uh, standard I want to set if I'm going to 
capture a creature like that. I want to be able to make sure that you people are seeing to. every detail and appreciating the the nooks and crannies, the fur, the you know, the eyes, the glare, the whiskers, everything. Yeah, and that reminds me of an image that you did, which was the swan. Yeah, and we were talk. We were talking actually on Clubhouse on the evening before it or after it. Or you mentioned in relation to mm -hmm. an image of the swan, and then you process the image of the swan. And I look and go, "Wow, you can see the water droplets that are coming down from the yeah. beak. You can see the sheen of the water that's still on the feathers. You can mm -hmm. see the shape of the face, the eyes, the beak, everything. It's just a beautiful photograph. So yeah, oh, thank you. I get you. I get what you mean there in relation to you know wanting to portray it as good as, as as nature actually has made it, but we have to capture yeah. it through the photograph, or you have to capture it through the photograph, because I can't take wildlife photos. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and tell me, have you a favorite wildlife photograph uh, to date? Oh, man. I think, uh, yeah, I think the, I've got it in my bedroom. Um, it's from last, last spring, uh, and it was the first fox, you know, experience I ever had. It was, uh, I drove six hours to, meet up with Aaron Mantis photography, uh, who's okay. incredible. Um, cause he had, he had the, the beat on, you know, four kits in the mom, uh, that was like a guarantee. It had been showing up every day and me and Adam and Nooch had been trying for weeks, got blinds, were in full camo 5am every morning, nothing. Uh, so on Aaron on Friday was like, dude, you should really come up this weekend. Like they are coming out every day. It'll be fun to chill anyway. We'll have some beers, whether we see them or not. I'm like, all right, tomorrow morning, if I don't, I'm going out tomorrow morning. I'm like, if I don't see the Fox, mm -hmm. I'm going right there. And sure enough, hear it. You can hear the screech, everything, but nothing. And uh, so right, right then and there, it's like 8 a.m. by the time I, I left there after a few hours. And uh, I'm like, Aaron, I'm coming. You know, I'm going to grab some food and I'm coming. I got there at sunset and within 10 minutes, all four kids oh, wow. were out playing. And wow. I was just like, oh my God. And so I've got one of, I've got a ton from there that I loved, but I think my favorite one is, uh, it's just a kit. It was actually looking up at a bee um, that was out, out of frame. Uh, and so it's just you know, like I, a I know side shot of it and it's image, looking yeah. up. And, you know, so I added, add a little bit more light coming in and it just, to me, it felt like the epitome of a kid's curiosity, you know, mm -hmm. of a child's curiosity mm -hmm. of life and just like a wonderment, you know, I, I felt like this kid was just so enamored and entranced by a bee and you couldn't see the bee. So I made it just kind of this glow of light, just kind mm -hmm. of like all the wonderment of being alive and young and wow. uh, everything at your fingertips. And so I have that, I got it. A huge print of it like 24 by 30 not huge but 24 by 30 or something for our bedroom yeah, that's big uh a metal print and i it's just one of my favorites ever i know the shot it's a phenomenal shot i'll actually share the shot on the um the show notes so people can see what the shot is because oh it's awesome thanks yeah it's phenomenal yeah if it's the one that's on instagram i think it is because i know exactly yeah i've got about. a yeah. Yeah, yeah i've got a bunch from that um, like from that time, I probably posted mm -hmm. about five of them, but I think yeah. it was, I think it was my first one that I posted and it was, yeah, it was la last spring. So you'd have to go back a little bit, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I'll find it. And if I don't find it, I'm sure people will look for it because it's even, even you describing it there again, I can see, you know, the, it, the raw, um, what's the word? Innocence 
that's there mm. from, you know, the cub looking up, seeing mm-hmm. the bee. And then, you, as you say, you add the light and then it's all of a sudden, it's like a glow that's coming into the beautiful animal and the details yeah. there. And I think that's, you know, it's phenomenal shots. No? Bravo. Well, it's great. funny. I've got a Shiba Inu too. And if anyone knows what a Shiba Inu for, for dogs is, or, uh, they, when you look up what to expect, like with the breed and everything, they, they said, expect every single person to tell you, oh, it looks like a fox. So that okay. fox and my dog look identical. Um, wow. They are. They're, they're actually uh, considered the national treasure uh, in Japan. They're old Japanese mountain dogs that were used for hunting. They're, they're not big. I mean, they're only, you know, 20 to 25 on average. Sometimes okay. you get bigger ones, but um, there are a lot of personality. They do look just like a fox, minus wow. like same coloring. So I think it also meant a lot to me because I'm like, I felt like I was looking at my dog and especially the way the kits were playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like watching him in the backyard playing with the bees, trying to bite him, trying to nip him. Like it was the exact Mad. same thing. I'm like, you are Leo. You're my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Mad. Mad. And you know, like even there, and you're mentioning a couple of things and it brings me to something I wanted to ask you. Right. And it's a quote that I found on your bio. Um, and I, I'll read your own quote to you. Right. But maybe okay. I can just get a bit your own idea of, you know, what the thoughts about these words are. So, It's, I love the way photography pushes me to explore the world and then capture moments that made me feel something. I hope to evoke an emotion with my photos because to feel something is to be alive. Tell me a bit more about that. That's fantastic words, but where did that sentiment come from? Um, I mean, kind of going back to earlier, like I, you know, just that is how I've been wired. You know, I, um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we all have um, insecurities and I have insecurities. And I think, uh, you know, for me growing up, uh, well, my my big one was I was I was born with no left ear. So I had to have about six surgeries to to oh. get a recreated one. So now okay. it kind of looks my left one kind of looks like a, a wrestler's ear. OK. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, you know, when you're five, six years old, you, you know, you don't understand that people don't care about that. They care about who you are as a person yeah and it it made me develop i think had a big influence on the personality i i was very outgoing uh you know from early on i was always um i think fun and funny and everything and and i didn't have a tough time i wasn't picked on growing up or anything i think i can like recall three times it happened in my child i I was lucky for that but i think it's because from a very early age, I felt like whether it was subconscious or conscious, I developed a personality that I felt people, um, you know, there's no way they wouldn't like me. And, and that if, if, uh, you know, if, if that was going to be an issue to them, then like, basically it was, it was my buffer. It was, it mm-hmm. was a way for me to protect against yeah, not being sure. liked and everything. So, yeah, yeah. um, I think that's a big reason why then I always really did appreciate anyone in my life, whether it was friends or girlfriends Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, didn't give it a second thought because to me, it was something I thought about every second of every day, you know, sure, yeah, Uh, where I sat, uh, the angles I would, when I first met somebody, like it it took me 25 years to truly get over a lot of it helped with when when I started my own company, you know, Mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. CNBC or local television or whatever. And, being interviewed where you didn't have a choice where the camera was pointing and mm-hmm. just having to get over that. Uh, yes. Yeah. So 
it's, you know, I would never change it. It's, it's done world worlds for me. I, I feel like, but um, I think that's where a lot of those words come by because it's, it's influenced uh, me wanting to, um, you know, have something that means something to something else, because for me, that, that is what's most important. Like having, having that emotional visceral reaction mm-hmm. to anything uh, is what happens to me when I take a picture of something. If, if, you know, if you see it on my Instagram or my website, it's because that moment meant something. something. Um, yeah. And so that that's why, like, that's why I share it. Cause I really want, want to have that same kind of effect. Uh, some, you know, to, to other people, it's just so boring to, to go through unaffected, to go through life unaffected or, or, uh, you know, not, not allow yourself to, um, I guess, tap into your emotions. I always, always told people, my opinion that, you know, vulnerability is the strongest characteristic a person can have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a willingness to be vulnerable, I should say, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the idea of like, uh, you shouldn't show your emotions. You're a guy, you know, that's, that's what being a man is to me. I think they're, that's the opposite. You yeah. know, if you're, if you're able to share and, and be open and, uh, I think that's, that's a really strong characteristic. It shows, a you know, confidence in yourself and it should show the people around you that you're sharing with, uh, that you mean a lot to them because they've mm. gained that trust. Mm, absolutely. And you know, if you can show some place through a photograph that you have a feeling, and if you can have that feeling come through the photograph that somebody else can go, wow, that's incredible. And as you say, you know, like it's something good to feel alive, to feel part of mm-hmm. this world that we live in. And through photography, I think that's a very interesting view because we can do that, but how somebody can relate to an image, which is something that fascinates me. They can relate to an image I've taken more than I relate to that image, mm. even though I was there, because that image can bring something from the past or it can hit something in a dream or it can hit something in the vision of a future, but it's an emotional connection mm-hmm. that they hold on to. And either emotion before now or in the future, but they attach it to that image. And when you say about, you know, true photography, to be able to bring somebody to a place or to to to, to experience almost the feeling that you had then it is of course great to be alive so yeah i mean it's 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 and don't you think the one thing that you know almost every photographer would probably agree on is is that photographers do see the world in a way where they appreciate and notice things that many other people don't and there's nothing wrong with that you know their their uh their creativity the things that um they find beauty in might just be something different it could be they hear it, you know, it could be, they mm-hmm. smell it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's part of, part of what, you know, sharing your photography is all about too, is, you know, I, I love the fact that something really small gets me so excited, you know, whether it's just like light hitting something, or I think that is such a, a gift to be able to take such enjoyment, um, especially in a time like quarantine, like where you could be stuck in somewhere 24 seven, but you look outside and you see sun rays coming through the clouds and you're just like, that just, you know, revitalized me for the day. Like that's, that's a really a gift. And I think that's part of what sharing your photography is all about. You, you want so badly for other people to understand why you get excited about something so small that they might overlook every day. It's like, you, it's like, you're almost trying to be like, look, like shake them, wake up, you know, like you can have a ton of enjoyment by just 
opening your eyes and, and noticing it yeah. and appreciating it. And, and just get outdoors, you know, and go mm-hmm. outside and experience it. And actually, you know, speaking of going outdoors, you've mentioned it a couple of times here, you know, from golf and, you know, your, your golf business. So tell us a bit about your golf and golf balls. What's the story there? How did that start? Yeah. Um, so I was living in New York at the time. I'd just gone there for, uh, I lived there for three years, a couple of years after college because I wanted to do marketing and advertising. And at that time, there really wasn't much in, in Buffalo going on at that time. Buffalo, since 2012, has undergone a huge resurgence. And there is, I mean, it's just an awesome city to live in, tons Brilliant. of marketing agents, things like that. But at that time, I was like, I always wanted to go to New York for at least a little bit. Um, so I I was delivering pizzas and I sold my car and booked a flight out. Uh, didn't have a job lined up or anything, and uh, but found a place and, and got it and was training training Wall Street guys at the gym from 5 a.m. to like 1 p.m. and then doing a temp agency job, you know, for the other time and mm-hmm. ended up getting uh, some jobs doing international uh, marketing and, and advertising and met some some folks there. And uh, one of my buddies, Steve, was a golfer on the NYU golf team. Um, okay. So I was a marketer and always played every sport in the world. And, uh, and he was in finance, but he was interested in golf. And uh, there's an engineer that had worked for my father's advanced uh, materials company that just invented everything. And he had this crazy golf ball with a hollow core. Okay. And so fast forward till the third year of me living there, it's when uh, it was December 8, 2008, when I lost my job, he lost his job on Deutsche Bank the same day it was when the job market tanked Thanks. in the United States. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our whole company went under within two days. It was crazy. Wow. And so it just kind of started off as how are we going to find work? How are we going to afford to live? And, you know, maybe, maybe we could market this crazy golf ball invention with my marketing background, his golf, and um, essentially just spent ne- the next six months going to a uh, small business association and, and mm-hmm. learning how to start a company, how to write bylaws, all that stuff. And, and after that time we pitched the engineer about trying to commercialize his product and, he was ecstatic that one of his inventions was going to possibly see the light of day. Yeah, uh, yeah. But then it was about two years till, till after that, um, that we started the company. And, and now since then, we've been sold in 28 countries. We've got wow. professional athletes as investors and golf. Our, our, one of our tour players last week uh, finished 20th in the Schwab challenge. We've wow. got award-winning golf balls. It's been a really fun fun and rewarding journey. And what's nice is that, I mean, golf courses are usually in very nice places. So even my work trips, I'll book a few days earlier <laughs> to go take photos. So I could really, you know, it's, it's, I'm lucky to um, have a job that, uh, you know, allows me to get to places that kind of feed my other passion. You know, it's life's all sure. about balance and everything. And to be able to do that is great. Like this last trip to California, I went to Death Valley for you know, two and a half days, which mm-hmm. I'd never been to. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, shooting the sand dunes was one of the most amazing uh, experiences of landscapes I've ever, ever seen. I have probably 200 photos from there that I would post in an instant. It's I, it's wow. all I can do to not make my entire Instagram feed a dune, 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 because it was just so mesmerizing uh, of a landscape. It was cool. Yeah, you know, it's a place I'd love to go to. And even just following on on your stories and photos and such like that, it's just been incredible. 
Um, because the the main thing I think from my side looking at that is we don't we don't have deserts in Ireland, right? Um, we don't have deserts. We don't have rainforests. We got pretty much everything else. We don't have deserts or rainforests. Mm -hmm. And when I look at that and I see the light hitting the top of those and I see the wind hitting the sand and all of a sudden it's changing so dynamic every day. The ground is changing every day. It's never going to be the same the day after. And mm -hmm. that's I remember following that and going, wow. And I was thinking to myself, Jesus, you have to go into a pretty big sand bunker there on this round of golf. That's what I first thought. When I yeah. saw it. <laughs> <laughs> that I'd still be trying to get out of it if, if that was a golf course. Yeah, it's phenomenal. funny though because Ireland is like Ireland is such a landscape that you know it's moody. You talked about we were chatting earlier, and you're like, when are you coming? You know, for the high winds and crazy mm -hmm. sea swells and. Like to me, that is, that's my happy place. That's why I want to get out there so badly to photograph that landscape. And like I said, the picture you have behind you, like I would mm -hmm. be a kid in a candy store and I didn't go to the dunes until my, uh, like halfway through my sand dune or, uh, death Valley trip. Mm -hmm. Um, cause there were other spots I wanted to hit and I'm glad sure. I didn't because I didn't know that having a place that was pretty much monotone with brown sand it's mm -hmm. not like you have a variety of colors i had no idea how many photo opportunities how many different types of photos you could take there and i went that i went for the sunrise and i'm like screw this i'm coming back tonight and then i had <laughs> one more sunrise i'm like i'm going back there like i skipped out on other things wow. like man if i'd gone there first i probably would have only shot Never sand left. dunes because it yeah. was just endless opportunities wow Wow. Incredible. Incredible. All right. Listen, I've really enjoyed the first segment there to give us a good insight and a good foothold into photography. What we're going to do is we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes, where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Brett, now I want to move on to some of your photographs, right? And I want you to kind of tell me a bit more in relation to some of the stories that go on behind them. So we spoke about foxes, and I think from a fox point of view, that's been phenomenal, right? Um, but I didn't really know you from your wildlife photography when I first started talking to you, because I first started talking to you on Clubhouse, and you were this guy that was going, guys, two weeks, going to the Tetons. Guys, 10 days, I'm going to the Tetons. Guys, <laughs> oh, seven days, I'm going to the Tetons. And I was like, Is that what I was like, damn it. And I'm like, what, what are the Tetons? I had no idea because, yeah. you know, I'm in Ireland. We don't know in relation to that. But then it was the countdown. It was like the five days, the four, the three, the two, the one. And I went, okay, he's gone. I can't wait to see what this is. And then I started to see some of the images coming true. Now, you have done, I think, a phenomenal body of work in that trip. Um, and I think, you know, I saw a couple of videos as well that you've made as well when you were going through on that trip and such like that. Tell me a bit more about that trip and tell me a bit more about the photos that you captured. Uh, it was magical for a lot of reasons. For one, it was the first time I had hopped on a plane since COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so that was great. Uh, it was a bucket list trip, a place that I had been dying to get to. Um, and I love winter. I love all the seasons, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go back to the Tetons, I think, in fall because um, I do want to get the bears and, and stuff nice. like that. But uh, I wanted somewhere that was the definition of winter, you know, <laughs> and vastness 
And I mean, I was watching videos about the winter season there every day. And it's the most iconic mountain range in the United States. I mean, it's just a bunch of shark fins, you know, that are Mm -hmm. incredible. Um, And after being cooped up for a year where, you know, don't get me wrong, the Northeast is great, but we don't have mountains. We have hills, you know, Mm -hmm. we have small mountains. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I want, I was fiending for something epic and big Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. larger than life. And uh, so it was just great. You know, I went there and, uh, Two photographers that I had only known through Instagram, Arthur LaFoe and Hayden uh, Sinkades, they were the best hosts you could ask for. They got up every single morning, called off days of work, uh, and shot with me from literally 4.30 a.m. to get you know start driving. Sometimes it was an hour and a half drive to get where we wanted to. Sometimes wow. it was a half hour until nighttime. Uh, went to dinner with me. We had beers together. Like It was just an incredible trip. But... I had also never seen a moose in person. I had never mm-hmm. seen bison in person, which I mean, a bison, a buffalo, obviously that's our sports logo. So like I've mm-hmm. been dying to get a shot of that. Uh, there were so many things, the Alpenglow, uh, you know, I had never captured Alpenglow. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just every moment of it was perfect because everything was so new. And, uh, you know, there was a day that it was minus 20, I think. Um nice. And it sucked. I mean, it sucked because your fingers, even in, I had, I mean, I had real deal gloves, you know, that were meant for that kind of temperature. And I could, I mean, they were in excruciating pain. Uh, I had to take them out of the finger parts and, you know, ball your fist in Mm -hmm. inside because it was the only thing that was going to kind of keep them warmer. And I'm just like, man, but that's part of the, the story. And yeah. uh, seeing this range was crazy. And one of the things that was insane was um, the fact that the Arthur had said that he hadn't seen the tops of the Tetons in a month and a half. That wow. it had been snowing. They had, had already had over 40 feet of snow there. Um, <sighs> so I was kind of worried that I was actually never going to get to see the tops. And mm-hmm. I thought that what I was seeing of it, I was like, that's got to be like half the height. Mm-hmm. Once they finally, when I finally saw them on the third day, fully exposed, I realized that what I'd been seeing the first two days was about a 10th of them. And I was wow. like, I actually, uh, no joke. I am an emotional guy, but I, I did, uh, like I teared, I was choked up. I had tears yeah. in my eyes. I looked at my buddy and the first time it came out, you know, the sunshine, all the clouds had, had been removed and I, I come around to spend, I'd just been shooting some elk and, uh, I had some, some music on and I was just, I mean, I was floored, utterly floored. Mm. Uh, you know what? It's, it's moments like that. Again, as you say, it's the experience. It's, you know, being with those people, they were able to bring you there, but also mm-hmm. you, you might've thought I'm sharing it with people, but also you're remembering it for who you are yourself. And then you had the camera, which is what I love about photography. Cause you've got the camera there to yeah. capture that moment that you can relive that again at a later stage over and yeah. over and over again. And, and well, on the- that trip, yeah, go on, yeah. I was just going to say, the night that you were on Clubhouse, how excited you were. Yeah. It, it's funny because I can relate to that so much because that is how I get about everything. When I go on a photo trip, it's like every day, every morning. Brilliant. And the two guys I was with, and actually they a couple more of their buddies were with us. I mean, they, they just kept telling me, they're like, I have never had more fun showing somebody the Tetons. Like, 
you make me appreciate because of how excited I got. Yeah. They were just like, this is, I could take you out every day because you, you're just so freaking happy and yeah. it made them happy. You know, yeah. made them proud to call that place their home and, yeah. and show it. So sorry to interrupt, but you no, reminded no. me very yeah, much but, so. Yeah, but you know what? You're dead right. And I think like, you know, like I say, we, we go there because we enjoy things. And even if it, I have a philosophy is that there's no such thing as bad conditions in landscape photography. There's always right. a shot. It may not be a banger shot, but there's always a shot. If you go look mm -hmm. for that shot, you'll find that shot. But you were there to see the Tetons. You thought, I'm never going to see it. And then all of a sudden yeah. it breaks, but breaks with light. And like, as you say, you come around the corner, you got the music. It's like, this is like something out of a movie, you know, and yeah. you're just coming around. And that's the kind of thing that I, I love hearing about stories like that. Mm -hmm. And what I was going to ask you was, you know, have you a favorite, I know it's a hard one. And I'm going to ask you a few hard questions next, I suppose, in the different trips, but have you a favorite photograph from that trip? Um, whew, that's tough. It's either, either the bison, the two mm -hmm. bison, uh, running through the snow. Yes. Because Beautiful it was shot. the last shot that I got. I had been, the whole week I hadn't seen them and they couldn't yeah. believe it. Cause they're like, normally we see them on the side of the road all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we actually had to, uh, we, we drove around for like two hours and, uh, we saw them far off in a distance. So we found a place to pull over, put on our snowshoes, hiked through this whole forest and came out to a clearing where there was like a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it, when I say knee deep, it's more like waist deep. Even with snowshoes, you're sinking up over your knee. It's oh. exhausting to yeah. walk through there. And I was still really far from them, but got close enough. And they're all just kind of grazing out in this way. And then all of a sudden, they just start booking and charging, not towards us, but to the to the right. Yeah. And that was the video I posted where... Mm -hmm. Uh, you see me look back and Arthur's taping me with the phone. I didn't even know. And I'm like, this is insane. And he's like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> you know, like he was just so geeked out for me. Like he didn't even need to capture because he sees it all the time. And yeah. I've got these charging bison. Um, wow. So that, that might be, that might be it. The other one is uh, from that, that morning. Um, I got a couple shots from there. There's that wide one with the Alpen glow. It's just a beautiful landscape beautiful of the shot. Tetons. But the one, I think it was my first shot that I posted from there was, uh, there was a, it's a place called Togwoody Pass and it's just a great view, really up and down, you know, drive the road mm -hmm. and everything, but a great view of the Tetons in the distance. And a snowplow was coming toward us. And Arthur and uh, Hayden, they they saw that and they got off then they stopped shooting because they were thinking, oh, I don't really want a car in my shot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, it's a snowplow. You can't even see the car. All you can see are lights. And mm -hmm. I got this awesome shot. It's like, it's a classic location. But Arthur was like, dude, I don't think I've ever seen a shot from that spot like that because everybody always just, it's a blank road and everything. And here come, you just see these two beams mm -hmm. in this cloud of mist at the mm -hmm. bottom left. And then the Alpenglow on the Tetons in the background. Um, definitely, definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great when everything comes together for a moment that's not going to be there that nobody else would see because they go, as you say, like move out of the way here. But no, hang on a second. Yeah, or something. And, you know, that's about having the balls to have your own image and say, this is what I want to get, as opposed to just going for the cliche, you know, 
everybody goes to one spot because it looks nice. Yes, but when you can add something into your shot, it mm-hmm. makes it makes it your own. And like speaking of where everybody can go and take a shot, I mean, you know, you've alluded to earlier on the first trip that you went to was Yosemite. I presume you've gone back to Yosemite again since, have you? Yeah, yeah. How many went, times? Um, uh, w- one other time. One other time. Okay. Uh, I will be back there again, but it's just like, man, there's so many places and only so much time. Um, mm. But yeah, I could go there a million times. It, it really is uh, a photographer's dream. Uh, you know, I, I've never been to Yosemite, but it is a place that I know that I would love. And I've just, mm-hmm. I've watched a few videos from people over the years and such like that. And you can just see the amount of atmosphere that can come through the areas that are there. You know, okay, you've got the, in February, when you get the ray of light that comes in and hits the water and you get the golden that looks like mm-hmm. lava. Wow, that's incredible, you know. But I'm thinking then from your point of view, wildlife, because when you were there, First of all, you were kind of learning in relation to I'm getting my camera. And of course, you, as you say, the images weren't stellar. Let's put it that way, right? Um, but if you were to go back to Yosemite now, with what you know and what you've learned, would there be one particular type of wildlife photograph that you'd like to get in Yosemite? Um, I, I say this with uh, some fear in my voice, a bear. I mean, a bear is just on my list in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but mountain lions are up there too, uh, mm-hmm. which are cool to be honest. So any of those, the, the links, the mountain lion, the fox, uh, the coyote, I saw a couple of those while I was there and, um, it's just such a iconic place. And I, I wish I had been into wildlife photography when I went out there to do some more of that exploring. But mm-hmm. one thing I love about the place in general, is just the variance, uh, in landscape opportunities that there are i mean you take an hour drive and you're up to uh mariposa grove which are the you know 250 foot tall redwoods yes um all the waterfalls the valley shots the the wood scenes like you can get a little bit of everything uh you know there and obviously the mountains themselves so yeah it's just it's a playground you know (laughs) and you, you mentioned something there which is a lot of in yosemite and i see a lot of it as well when i look through your portfolio of images is waterfalls and waterfalls i think are something that i love to take photographs of but i don't have waterfalls like you guys have waterfalls in the us right i mean but we have waterfalls that are intimate waterfalls as opposed to your big grand giant waterfall so what is it about waterfalls that attracts you i just I think early on, uh, you know, the first time I ever did a long exposure shot, waterfalls like the thing that you do it with. And it was just, it's attached to that first feeling of awe of what you could do with a camera by shooting on manual and maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, and having a little bit of gear, a little bit of technical skill, um, you know, to do something. You're like, man, you can... You can literally manipulate time. You're manipulating time. You know, you're you're capturing this whole motion and the fact that it looks different at 0.5 seconds to 1.3 to 10 to 20. Um, I just think there there's something about uh, about the beauty of a waterfall that you know even when you capture the raw power of them, those mm-hmm. are incredible shots. I like especially in Iceland. Some of those are. Mm-hmm. are so heavy flowing and and when you just freeze it you know it's mm-hmm. just a lot of opportunities there and i there's just something elegant about them do you find that when you're at a waterfall that 
number one, you've got the the sound. Okay, so I mean, the sound it can be deafening, but it can be it brings that extra dimension, let's just say, into being there. But mm-hmm. when you take a photograph of a big, big waterfall and you look at the image afterwards, do you find that you can almost bring yourself back to the point where you can hear the sound that was there at the time and remember sure. the whole ferocity of the flowing of the water? Yeah, I, I, I feel like every time I've shot a waterfall, there's a story with it mm-hmm. that's memorable. Um, it's usually because, you know, to get something dynamic, you're, you know, you're wearing muck boots or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're you're wading into water that's just rushing past you, trying to blow you in, and you're like, oh, this is a little sketchy or whatever, or you're yeah. on a, you know, you're set up on a weird rock or log where, man, if your camera falls over, it's going to get washed away. Like there, there's always an extra element, um, whether you want to call it danger or just danger for your gear, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's usually a story and there's usually, you know, it's not like waterfalls are often, sometimes they are Multnomah Falls in Oregon is on the side of the road, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, you're, you're having a bit of an adventure to get yeah. to see that waterfall. It's, you know, yeah. it's usually not just presenting itself for you. You usually don't get rewarded without a little bit of um, <laughs> hard work to get to it. You know what? It does not make it all the better, you know, because you've put in the hard work. You've gone in to find that image. You've put in mm-hmm. the, you know, the your own trekking, your own exploring, your own mapping to be able to find something. And all of a sudden you go, I never saw this before. Why? Because it's not on the side of the road, as you say. So there's a reward right. there to get there. Uh, I, 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 it's just a side note, I suppose. Um, a couple of weeks back, I went on a trip around West Cork and I was driving along the road. It was raining and I was looking and I see these very, very high mountains, not very high mountains, but mountains for Ireland, like hills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I see the water coming down. I'm like, Jesus, that looks like a big waterfall, right? So I said, okay, I wonder, can I get in there? And I found a little area and I went, okay, on the map, and it was an old little kind of a country road, a boreen. So I drove down the road and all of a sudden I got to the end of the road and I'm stopped because there was a farmer who was uh, going through the road with his sheep, right? So I had to wait for him and so forth. Turns out that I wasn't on any boreen. I was on his own private road. So I just went, oh, shit, okay, what do I do here? So I just said hello to him, and I asked him, I said, is there any way I can get up to this waterfall? And he said, no, no, not really. And I said, why? He said, oh, because it's private land. You can't go over there. And I went, all right. So he says, what do you want to go over there for? I said, well, I'd love to go over and take some photographs. And I was telling him a bit of things that I would do. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the conversation then, the beauty of conversation and talking to people is that, you know, the conversation opens. And he went, look, go down there. He says, park down here. You can go over through the second gate, go through this field. They'll take the way up, and you'll find the waterfall. And I was like, yeah. oh, Wow, but it turns out that it's the highest waterfall in Ireland and England. It's uh, one thousand one hundred and fifty feet high of a waterfall, and wow, there's a, there's a lake up at the top of it as well, which is what feeds the waterfall. But yeah, the day I was there, there was no flow, so it was a very, very, very small flow coming down the waterfall. But I would love to go there when it's a big, big flow to be able to mm-hmm. see that expanse of water. But what I love about a waterfall, as you say, there's a story behind it, but also every image is going to be different because water in its very nature moves in fluidity and there's nothing static about it. So it's what I love about going to the sea is every photograph I take, every wave is going to be different. And Mm. the same thing with waterfalls, because I go to this waterfall hoping that I'm going to have a huge flow of water that's going to be, wow, look at this. I only have a trickle in reality of water, but I still concentrated on the water and I got some beautiful images in of, little micro vignettes of a huge giant waterfall that had no mm-hmm. water. And that's what I'm thinking, you know, when you say about what the waterfall aspect of it, because for me, that's 
incredible that you can capture something that isn't actually even there because the water is moving. But when you do a long exposure, you're capturing that water. And that's what I love about waterfalls for me. And I think it's pretty similar from, from your point of view, I think, from that flow of the water. Yep. Yeah, what you captured is already a forgotten moment, you know, to the waterfall. It's already on a different part of its journey. You know, nobody will ever capture that exact water yeah. again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Next style of photography I want to talk about, and it's one that I've seen a lot of fantastic photographs. And I thought you were going to mention it actually when we were talking earlier about favorite photos, because it's one of my favorite photos of yours. It's of a bird. It's of an eagle that's sitting in a tree that you have a fantastic photograph of. But I noticed like to take photographs of birds, that is something that's not easy. I, I you know, I, I've tried even in my own back garden to try and take photographs of birds. And yeah, I get them, but it's not a beautiful image, let's just say. So there's a certain skills that you have to have to be a, a wildlife photographer, but there's also another certain set of skills that you have to have to be a bird photographer. Mm. So you mentioned earlier about your approach to the foxes and such like that. What's your approach to the bird photography? Are you a stalker or are you more of an opportunist? Um, I've been more of an opportunist so far, uh, just because uh, the opportunity or the, I guess the times that I've shot, uh, like the last one that, that one that I have diving down, um, mm -hmm. that I posted mm -hmm. recently was from my trip to California. And I was just looking up like what's around here to shoot. And I saw that there was a ecological reserve that had a bunch of birds. Okay. Um, and those things are fast. I mean, I literally look like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can see that. They're just hearing me, but just imagine somebody shit face drunk. Yeah, with, with a lens. you know, a, a 10 pound holding something, 10 pounds, it sticks out, you know, two and a half feet yeah. uh, trying to control that thing. Um, but my, my, as far as how I shoot them is changed every time, especially with that. That was, that was the most difficult uh, shot uh, experience I've ever had because of, of the speed and because of the maneuvers it would make. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And it was so hard to predict. I mean, you knew that they were hovering over and searching for something to dive bomb mm -hmm. um you didn't, you didn't know, know when oftentimes they would like do this roller coaster loop go down and then pull up at the last second because the fish was gone or whatever and you're like damn <laughs> it so the whole technique there was to lock onto it from a while away you know from a ways away and literally just try and track it which is why mm -hmm. you're you're making all these ridiculous movements because <laughs> you're never going to be able to hold still like and know that hey he's probably going to like you can't just say he's probably going to dive within the next 40 feet in front yeah. of me and then focus yeah. on that whole area. Yeah. Um, cause they could be all over the place. So, you know, with bird photography, I'm very much still learning. Uh, even well with wildlife in general, I, I'm always learning. Everyone's always learning, but yeah. uh, my goal this year is to try and get a lot more, um, I guess we'll call it like, uh, moving in existence, hunting, um, type of, wildlife photography i've gotten gotten a ton of really great portrait style um wildlife and you know that eagle is i love that one that was that was from beautiful. my first morning in the tetons too beautiful but i mean wasn't difficult per se because it's sit sitting in the tree, tree. Yeah, uh, yeah yeah but flying like i i was trying for two hours in california to to get that thing coming up with a fish the closest i got was getting its wings kind of its head is in the water its wings are still out of the water as it dove in 
and mm-hmm. water frozen in like the shape of a crown behind it and everything, which is cool. But mm-hmm. I, I was never able to get it coming up out, out of the water with uh, fish. fish. And I did realize though that, um, so part of my problem is uh, I've been, I love my 150 to 600. It's It's been great, but it's really more for portraiture okay. um, because I, I need a native lens. Like I have an adapter for that mm-hmm. and it, it just, there's a hitch. It does not track something at that speed. It's going to malfunction. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's too slow. Yeah. Um, you really do need a native lens uh, to be able to, uh, to, to track it. So I used my 70 to 200 for, um, for that shot and it did a great job of tracking it. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like night and day from anything I had ever tried before. I, I wasn't understanding how my buddy Mike um, was always getting these crystal clear bird shots <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, dude, how you have that huge lens? He's yeah. like, well, it's native to my camera. And I'm like, is it really that big of it? Like, cause I had nothing to, you know, compare it to. And he's like, oh yeah, you're losing like a half second on that thing. He's like, you're, you're never going to get, you know, a bird in flight really yeah. sharp. And is, uh, is, it a, is, it a, is it a Sigma 150 to 600 you have? Yeah. And is it MC21 adapter? MC11 adapter. MC11. I, I got a Sony A7R3, so it's a full frame MC11 adapter. Now the 7200 G Master is native, and that worked great. But it's yeah. you know it only goes to 200. Yeah, it's the, it's the so. extra bit of the the adapter and that extra processing, which is the catcher. Yeah, um, like I would I would love to get either the the one to 400 or eventually a 600 Prime. But I mean, you're talking money. Yeah, you know, lots and lots of money. Grand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and Sony Sony lenses aren't cheap either, but they are great. The G Master lenses are incredible. Yeah. I mean, I don't shoot Sony, but even you know, I'm okay to admit that the G Master lenses are incredible because yeah, they need to be incredible to keep up with the Canon lenses. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. I'll I'll let you take those jabs. <laughs> and you know what? I suppose one final thing I suppose I want to talk to you from the different types of photography and wildlife is something that. They fascinate me. I think they fascinate a lot of people around the world. And anybody that likes a dog will, I think, have an akin feeling towards a wolf. And, you know, I've never seen a wolf in real life. Um, Never mind, say, photograph a wolf. But you have. So, like, tell me a bit more about photographing wolves. Has this been something that you've wanted to do for a while or how was the experience? Just tell me more about it. Cause I, I haven't done it. I well, the, I think the wolves that you're referring to actually are all the ones that I've posted are from, uh, like a rehab, um, okay. a rehab facility. So I was lucky Still to great. shoot him because they're, they're just there. Uh, it's in the Adirondack mountains, which is about six hours, you know, from, from Buffalo, I have seen a wolf in the wild, but I was not able to photograph it. Uh, it was probably 300 or more yards away. It was actually on the way back in Jackson, uh, okay. or in, when I was in the Tetons mm-hmm. from that sunrise shot at Togwoody Pass. And of course I just was like, my head was on a swivel and I'm going to pat myself on the back. It may have been the greatest animal spot in the history of man. This thing was so far away and was like in between trees and Arthur was driving at a good speed. And I mean, it was also down like 300 yards. It wasn't just across, it was down. And somehow (laughs) I looked over and I saw it and 
I go, stop the car, stop the car. <laughs> and they stop. They're like, what do you see? What do you see? And I'm like, there's a wolf over there. They're like, what are you talking? Like, they couldn't even see it. It Like, I had to get them out of the car and point and zoom in with the camera. And they're like, how in the oh. hell did you see that? They're like, that is impossible. I, I was like, I think it's just because I wanted to so badly that, like, my oh. senses were peaked. But uh, it was just so far I couldn't. Couldn't get a good shot, so it's probably the lamest, you know, story of, of, uh, you know, as far as wildlife that I've just got him at the rehab. But it didn't make it any less special for me because I had that was the first time I'd seen a wolf in real life. It just wasn't mm-hmm. in the wild, mm-hmm. um, and the beauty of them is just incredible. There is definitely, like, you can see why you know, the Native Americans and everything held them in such high regard and why there are so many legends and Mm -hmm. uh, stories about, uh, about them because they are majestic, you know, beautiful creatures. And especially like you said, with the dog, I mean, um, dogs are derivatives of wolves, of wolves. Um, And actually the Shiba Inu, which I told you about my dog, they are the closest genetic species to a wolf. Surprisingly. Which was, I was like, that's awesome. I always tell my little dog, I'm like, you're a freaking wolf, man. (laughs) You're a wolf. And I think he knows it. He's, you know, he's 22 pounds, but he's just like regal as shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what I meant. Yeah, Yeah, I know what I meant. Do you know my lineage? Do you not know my lineage? Yeah, do you you know who I am? (laughs) (laughs) Come here. Something I wanted to ask you as well, I think, I think it was when you were in the Tetons. You were... With a bunch of people, is that a group of people called Shutter Six? Is that right, oh, or is so that different? Not, no. So Shutter Team Six is myself, um, Adam, Danny, who's from Buffalo, like me. Yeah. Uh, Seth Macy, who is in Toronto, or not Toronto? He's in Fort Erie, Canada, but which is near Toronto. Um, sure. And uh, Mike Nucherino, Nuch Ten, who's Buffalo, and Aaron Manis, Mantis Photography, who's in Connecticut. Um, wow. So I I knew Adam first and did, you know, Yosemite with him and then Iceland and everything. And then right before was so well, last year was a pandemic. So right before the pandemic was, uh, yeah, right before I had told, I had met Mike through Instagram and I I told Adam and Mike, I'm like, I want to start a Buffalo photography community place for people to meet pick their brains, get advice, shoot together, whatever. Yep. Yep. Uh, and they were, they were like, oh, it's a great idea. And so like Mike made some cool laminated tag. Like I, I just started reaching out to photographers from Buffalo mm-hmm. on Instagram um, and had one of my buddies who's like a beer connoisseur. We did a, a, a beer tasting event mm-hmm. um, at, a, at a local brewery. Nice. At that time, like only 1,200 or 12 people. Uh, that was a nice start, twelve hundred. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, <laughs> and we we had a freaking blast, and yeah. uh, and then COVID hit, and Seth on Instagram one day was like, "Man, this is lame," you know. Uh, and we had never met, had never really talked. He's like, "You know, it's it's boring. Want to want to FaceTime and you know just get to know each other." I'm like, "Sure, yeah." Dude. yeah. So we FaceTime and had a blast, and then I. You know, and I had already started to have conversations with Aaron about photography. Um, 
prior to that. And so we all just kind of connected and uh, started doing, you know, Seth created then, um, I mean, we all did. He created uh, the Toronto Photo Rebellion and Aaron uh, created, um, or no, New England Photo Rebellion and Toronto, um, oh God, I can't remember. Anyway, so then we had all these three regions Mm -hmm. and throughout COVID, uh, we just started trying to create some business things out of it and would do virtual meetups. We had Brooke Lilbear come on. We had, you know, all these big photographers come on and do presentations for people in the group, which has been great. And then we decided we wanted to, uh, you know, we, we started a couple of times, got some free trips to, um, some nice Airbnbs and everything exchanged for photos and got some Mm -hmm. free products. And we're like, all right, well, why don't we kind of turn this into something? So shutter team six is just, uh, a content creation, um, agency, if you will. And, uh, you know, where we, we kind of go in and, and revamp, uh, businesses, Instagram, web page, give them photos if they need it, products, all, all sorts of stuff like that. Brilliant. And which one of the team was the guy who flew the drone through the house and around the house? Oh, that, so that's Tom Warner. He was the latest addition. We had gotten this good addition, Airbnb stay. And I had worked with Tom who does FPV drones. The first point of first person mm-hmm. view. Mm-hmm. which are insanely difficult mm-hmm. and uh he killed it and everybody had such a good time with him we're like let's make him a member too and then yeah. that, that kind of came in yeah that thing went crazy viral that was brilliant we, we had like eight we had a ton of stuff real estate companies reaching out we had uh like eight airbnbs two at the base of the swiss Alps that were like come out you got a free place to stay <laughs> Yeah, it was phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, fair play to Tom. That was a uh, fantastic flying. So yeah. uh, good addition to the, to the, to the team. Um, yeah. One final question I have for you there before we go for our last break, right. Is, um, you know, we've touched on a number of different things about photography and I think, what do you think the photographer's role is in 2021 and beyond? I mean, even not only just from wildlife, but just in general, you know, you've met up a number of people, you've got a lot of experiences, you've been to different areas, you know, you've got this group, like I say, you saw up in, in, in Buffalo and such like that. But what do you think from the photography point of view is our role now and going yeah. forward? I mean, so there's a couple things that I think every photographer should be mindful of, which is things we've talked about in some of the clubhouse rooms, which is if it's wildlife ethical, if it's landscape ethical, mm-hmm. um, you know, tagging responsibly, those are easy answers that, um, you know, we should all strive to build into, uh, you know, how we share our photography. Agreed. Um, yeah. But I also don't think it's fair to put any kind of undue pressure on, on somebody and, you know, expectation for, uh, for their art. So I think, I think the role of the photographer is, I'm going to take it back to what I had said earlier, which is to try and, um, spread the, uh, the joy of being aware of your surroundings. Like, we should all continue to share photography because I think the more people that we can enlighten with the gift of, Hey, don't just overlook that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like notice everything, notice the way the water is falling off a leaf, notice the way the light changes during a sunset, 
mm-hmm. go out and watch the sunset. Don't just let another pass you by. Get up for a sunrise. Like I think uh, to that should be everyone's role. Um, you know, you don't have to change anybody's mind, but I think if that's part of the reason you're doing it, that's a great that's a great way to make a difference. You always hear people say, if I can just change one person's life or if I can uh, help somebody, you know, feel a little happier or laugh, you know, I've done my job. Like you hear that kind of answer all the time. And that's that's what our role should be as as photographers outside of the, you know, the self-indulgent goals and the career goals and everything. Um, I think just bringing it because it's free. That's mm-hmm. that's something that is free you, you yeah. know, nobody has to pay to see a sunrise so if if you can impact somebody to be like i think i want to go walk in the woods more or i want to mm-hmm. get up for a sunrise and now you've given somebody who may be dead broke doesn't have money to travel and you've given them a free you know guide on how to get some happiness and joy even if a lot of other shit isn't going right mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're kind of like a, a an ambassador for nature, mm-hmm. as you're as you're mentioning it there. You know, because you want to be able to share it, but you also want to open people's eyes to be able to see it because it's under their nose, just they don't see it. Yeah, and, you know, and it doesn't they, like you said. I mean, it doesn't have to be nature. It doesn't have to be wildlife. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's people, like noticing the interactions between a, a, the parent and a child, or to mm-hmm. people on a walk in front of you, you know, that are holding hands and kissing, like there is beauty all around us to be found 100%. and recognized. And I yeah. think the more, the more your mind notices and accepts that, the more, um, the more joy you're going to find out of things, you know, you, the more excited you'll get about small things. You won't need to, to have some big stimulation or huge event to bring joy into your life. You know, you'll be less worried about material things. And I think, um, being able to find those those joys and uh, things that make life life nice, you know, uh, a lot easier. Hundred percent. And you know what? Just to kind of to, to to wrap up before we go to the next segment, there on this is, I think photography is quite interesting for me because it's the only thing really that would get you out of bed early in the freezing cold, in the rain potentially, to go stand somewhere for a long period of time and then be let down because the light isn't be there. But it was still right. a great morning. Yeah, still a great <laughs> morning. Yeah, you know, so it's phenomenal from that. And I can say, yeah, you can, we'll try and make a badge for you as an ambassador for nature because you did a good job there, I think, on that one there, Brett. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right, we're going to take our final break. And listen, I've got uh, three questions I ask every guest. And I'm going to ask you the same questions and we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Brett, like I said, I've got three questions I ask every single guest. I'm not going to leave you off, right? So I'll bring you into the fray and we'll go and see what your answers are to these staple three questions of the Irish Photography Podcast. So the first one I ask is, everybody has them. And it's a funny photography story. So tell me, what's yours? Um, man, I've got a lot. The one about me not being able to get an image in focus is definitely one, but I already Yeah, that's up that. there, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, 
Well, so when I went to Iceland, I went with Adam and uh, Dave, two buddies, and we rented a camper van, a small one. And okay. you know, we, we get to Iceland and the guy is kind of showing us our, our camper van. And we all looked at each other while he's explaining everything, just because it is so small. You can't even stand <laughs> up in it. And it's three three grown men. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, with camera wow, gear, yeah. shit just got real. you know." <laughs> and he's telling us about like, here's your, your weather tracker and everything. Be careful. You could, you could get a band. You could get blown off the road. So we're realizing this is not you know a trip to the Bahamas. This is like, this is going to get sketchy a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we were driving back from... Where was it? Through I can't even pronounce the, the national park there, but um, we had a long drive. We were trying to make it up to the West Fjords, and it was going to be about a five-hour drive. And the wind was, no joke, 80 miles per hour sideways. Nice. nice. And the road that we were on was, you know, two lanes. So one lane going one direction, mm-hmm. one in the other. The snow drift across this kind of flat, all the mountains were in the back on the side. So there was a snow drift that was just insane. Uh, and cars were putting their flashers on and going about five miles per hour. You know, we, I am so riddled with anxiety. (laughs) I mean, it's just absolutely terrifying. Like I I thought it was going to throw up for, you know, two and a half hours. We finally get past the, uh, that part. And, I mean, there's there's a video of me where I I have more expletives about how annoyed I am with Mother Nature right now. I'm like, <laughs> are you effing kidding me? Give me an effing break. Chill the F out. Like just swearing at Mother Nature like she's a real, you know, like she's a, a person I can communicate, like will actually take mercy. And uh, I mean, it just sucked, though, because we the the last two hours of our drive were was dark. And there was no way conditions. we were going to make it. We uh, we got about a half hour up this road, and we saw a camper van twice our size, 25 feet off the road. Oh, and we were Jesus. like, and that's a wrap. So we uh, <laughs> just ended up getting absolutely hammered at a motel that we had passed a mile mile behind. And we were like, thank God for this spot. But, yeah, it was wow. pretty bad. The, I can't – the funny part of the story is, is the video. I, I mean, my buddies were – in tears at the the words that I was coming up with because I was so mad about the level of anxiety that I was being put through. That's scary though, because the snow oh. drift was so bad that you're you can't tell which way is up. I mean, I I literally could not see. I couldn't tell if I was going if I was staying straight, left or oh. right, and oh. it's just that's terrifying. Yeah, we know what every kind of scary thing always has to end up getting shit faced, and I think that was yeah. you know the right thing to do. So yeah, it was a good good idea, yeah, good story. Yeah. We had, we, had, we had real quick, we had, uh, so we had the whiskey bottle that we hadn't opened up that whole time. We get back and the other part that, of that story that's really funny is our buddy got so drunk, he fell asleep on the bed standing up and we look over, his computer was open because he had been editing photos. <laughs> While he was drunk and passed out, we see his hand moving across the cursor. He was editing in his sleep, in his <laughs> drunken sleep. And we were like, that is absolutely hysterical so we took a video of him and you know he's snoring yet his hand is moving like he's editing i'm like this guy is dreaming that he's editing right now 
Are those videos online? Can I find those videos? No, I, I'll have to get my buddy to send them and then I'll share them. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. That would be funny. Okay, brilliant answer. Okay, we've alluded to it a couple of times. We know you shoot Sony, so tell us, what gear do you use? Use a Sony A and give me all your lenses. Give me all the gas that you've experienced over the last number of years and you spent yep. on Sony. Uh, so I, right now I've got the Sony A7R III, nice little full frame. Um, I've got a 16, a uh, Sigma 16 millimeter F1.4. I've got nice. a Tamron um, 28 to 75 F2.8. I've got a 7200 uh, G Master uh, nice. and a 150 to 600 Sigma and a Sony 50 millimeter Prime. That's a very, very nice collection. And I, I presume you don't bring the kitchen sink with you every time you go on a trip, do you? Uh, that's my biggest issue is that I am always so terrified that I'm going to find something to shoot and not that have the I lens. don't have the right lens for. And I've got to learn to just like that say, goes. screw it. You know, uh, yeah. my if I could leave my... Like there's plenty of times I should not have brought my big lenses or my wildlife, especially my 156. But mm -hmm. I'm like, but this is an 11 mile hike. Like we'll be in there. What if I see something? I never use it, and it's an extra, you know, whatever. So you, you I got to get better it. about that. Yeah, you've just brought in a Sigma 150 to 600 on an 11 mile hike, right. just for the sake of bringing it to make it harder for yourself to bring it in there. But I I totally get it because it is a kind of case of fear of missing out. That's just in case it happens. You don't want to miss it because damn every, and then if you stop bringing it, you might find, you know what, ever since I stopped bringing that, I've missed this shot and I've missed that shot. And then all of a sudden you're back into bringing it just in case again. So yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yep. And what, what tripod do you use? What do you sit the camera on? Um, oh my God. I can't even think of the name now. I'm, I'm brain farting on the tripod, but it's, uh, it has three uh, legs anyway. So that's a good start. Yeah. It's three legs. It's, um, the carbon fiber, um, it's nice. One of my actually most fun buys that I really love now is the L bracket. I can't believe yeah. it took me so long to get one. Yeah. I'm a moron for not having gotten it before. I I actually like holding the body of the camera with it on. Like I like that it adds a little mm -hmm. more girth, gives me more mm -hmm. to stand mm -hmm. on. But yeah. especially for the tripod part, I mean, especially with big lenses, there are times where I want to use a big lens and a slower shutter. And mm -hmm. even, I mean, it's just, it's going to eventually just start hanging, you know, lowering and lowering. It can't yeah. hold that weight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's been one of my most fun buys. I'm like, I can't believe I went as long as I did without it. And tell me, is is that your uh, your VSP? Is your L bracket a VSP by any chance? Your very solid product. Um. Yeah, I think so. I think there's just a lot of, and just from getting damaged, even like you don't know, you know, even if you don't have a tripod, but you want to set it on something sturdy, but it's dirty and everything like that. Like having yeah. that L bracket on the bottom is great. It's like a cage that surrounds it and protects it. It's great. I mean, you know, yeah. and what I love about it is that, you know, you get your composition set up and all of a sudden you go, okay, I want to change from landscape to portrait. Mm -hmm. Bang, you're done. Boom. Two seconds. Two seconds. And I, I remember before I had my L bracket, um, you'd, you know, you get your whatever lens ball head and you tilt your camera down. But you'd have the camera so finely balanced on a rock, like you say, which is so slippy that you just put the camera off and it's that little bit extra. And now the camera is now leaning to the left hand side, which yep. means it could go off because the weight in the central is gone. And plus, you want to do panels 
bang, done, as opposed to mm-hmm. now you're getting this and you have to find this nodal point and everything else. It was much, much easier when you get your L bracket. So, yeah, we, that was a, I predicted your answer for your VSP. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a, a good one. It's a very, very good product. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. Um, Brett, we're nearly there, man. You know, we're almost to the end of this fantastic conversation. I've loved it. Um, what's next for you? What's your next trip? And uh, what's next on the cards for you? Um, so I, I turned 40 in at the end of July and I'm hoping to take a big trip. What's that? Brilliant. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Yeah, I know. Time is ticking towards it yet. Yeah. So I've been looking at, uh, Olympic national park. There are, it's, they've got like those forests that are, I mean, that that I see a lot of those guys, um, you know, in, in Dorchester and the UK and everything like those really crazy haunted wooded, wooded yeah. foresty scenes uh, to mountains, like just a ton of landscape beaches with sea stacks, like a lot of really interesting things. Um, so I think I'm going to head out there. Nice. But I'm just not positive yet. It's it's getting down to the wire. So that'll be my next, I think, big trip in between then and now, though. Um, I'm just going to try and go out and you know, practice as much, try and get more of that action wildlife, like Mm -hmm. we talked about, and Mm -hmm. birds are, you know, abundant around here. So that'll be probably what I'm uh, shooting a lot of. I I actually am going um, to shoot some fox tomorrow morning, Uh, but we'll see how that turns out. Brilliant. And, you know, you mentioned there, like, you know, you go to Olympic National Park because, you know, you've got lovely old forests, you've got sea, you've got sea stacks. We've all that here as well in Ireland. Have you ever been mm-hmm. to Ireland or have you ever any plans to come to Ireland? 100%. Yeah. Like I said, I, I hope to within the year. Um, maybe not the calendar year, but mm. within 12 months, I'd like yeah. to try and get there. Um, just because I've already got a couple trips, weddings planned that kind of take me through January where I just couldn't fit anything in, you know, before that. So sure. I'm hoping, uh, you know, hoping before it gets too long but I, I will get out there it's definitely a place i've been dying to go and actually my buddy who is a beer connoisseur we've been talking about doing a photography and beer or alcohol workshop combining Good the combination two. yeah um and so he's actually done that type of thing out in ireland and and stuff like that he's like man we should do a couple here locally where we combine two and people are paying for both experiences yeah and yeah. if they go well we work those kinks out do one in ireland so uh that might be but, in the future. Well, look, you know what? We have, we have the landscape and we also have the beer. So you yeah, do. it's a, it's a good, good combination. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll be more than welcome when you visit Ireland, hook me up, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look after you. So yeah, we'll, uh, 100%. we'll have a good one. Um, yeah, I and I suppose, wait. yeah. And finally, and my one thing, one thing actually will say to you is don't come in the summer because the sea will be too camp. Okay. So you, you want to come in February or March, um, maybe a bit of April, but or September and October are good as well. So, just put that in your good to in know your, in your calendar yeah so brett i've really really loved having the conversation with you where can people find more information about you uh just my instagram is easy it's at brett blakely b-r-e-t-b-l-a-k-e-l-y um i do sell prints um brett blakely dot darkroom dot tech which uh I, I try and keep as up to date as possible i gotta add a few um i think my last two or three but for the most part the last like three months of stuff is up there um, Brilliant. And yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Reach out, DM. You know, if you got a question or just want to say hello, I'm I'm usually pretty responsive. So. Brilliant. I've really really enjoyed the conversation. What I'll do is I'll put some links and stuff in the show notes as well, um, so people can uh, you know c- 
click direct and find your work. But Brett, it's been a fantastic conversation. It's great to finally see your face. I know we've spoken a lot just from the, yeah. the clubhouse world, but you know, it's great to see your face as well and have this conversation. I've loved hearing your story. Yeah, man, it was an honor. I really, uh, really thankful you had me on and it was awesome chatting with you. I've always enjoyed talking with you on clubhouse. So this was even better having a, having a face to it. And I'm sure that, uh, one day soon we'll be uh, meeting in person. So thanks again for oh, everything. We will do. We will do. Okay. From me in Ireland to you in Buffalo. Oh, by the way, before I go, um, I actually have spoonlies that live in, Buff- in Buffalo. Would you believe? You have what? The spoonlies that live in Buffalo. I always never knew that I, I always really? thought, yeah, I always thought the spoonlie was a unique name and it was nobody ever anywhere else. But when the internet came along and we found uh, spoonlies that live in Buffalo and there was a thing years ago called spoonlie train. Okay. Um, the, the, the train man spoonly or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, I just wanted to say that. I, I don't know why I want to say it to you before I finish, but that's amazing. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> spoonlies in Buffalo, and I never even knew that they existed. So yeah, two degrees of separation. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, yeah. So look, yeah, I'll try the outro again. Listen, look, thanks a million for coming on for me and Aaron to you in Buffalo. Schlanger fault. Yeah, definitely loved it. Hey guys. If you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.